0: Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about stories. Life changing stories of people that are members of this church family. And life changing stories from the scripture. But today, I want to ask you a question What is your story? What's your testimony? When a person gives a testimony, they give a viable and credible witness, it's an avowal of faith or of profession. It is a testimony before a court of witnesses that you are telling the truth, that this is as it actually happened. When a person gives a testimony, it's a serious declaration of a substantiated fact, a life-changing experience. Two stories that I want to look at this morning. One is a story of Pilate. Pilate is one of the saddest stories in all of human history. Here is a man who was hard, who was cold-blooded, who was a ruler, who was a leader, who governed all of Judea at the time of Christ. And Pilate was one of those men that only cared about staying in power. He had to be in control. He lived in fear that the emperor would take him out of a position of leadership, and he was put in the most disturbed area of the Roman Empire, which was Judea. Constant turmoil there. The time of Passover was a time when many times there would be conflicts between the Jews and the Romans. And now Pilate finds himself at a pivotal moment in history, in the fullness of time. And Jesus Christ, a carpenter from Nazareth, who claims to be the Messiah, is brought before him, and the religious leaders of the day ask him to do something about Jesus. And so after taking him through beatings and through multiple trials, he condemns Jesus to crucifixion. This is a man who could have made a different choice, who could have taken a different road, but he made a tragic decision No one today would name their child Pilate. You wouldn't even name your dog Pilate because he's such a tainted name in history. He really, in many ways, belongs with all the names that we hear in history and see in the newspaper of people who are vicious and vile and corrupt and evil. Here's a man who they came to him and they said, now this carpenter has claimed that he's going to rise from the dead in three days. And you need to do something about it. Now, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, but on the screen, you're going to see these words out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, That deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. What a pitiful effort to keep God in a grave. I mean, to keep Jesus in the grave would have been like Pilate saying, go and keep the sun from coming up today. Go and stop the tides from going in and going out. Go and make time stand still. Because the scripture had prophesied that Messiah would come. And Jesus had said that I will rise again on the third day. There was no seal. There was no guard. There was no effort that it could have been made. If he had called the entire Roman legion to stand in front of that guard, he could not have kept Jesus in that grave. This is an amazing story. Because if he could have kept Jesus in the grave, then we would have no hope today. We would have no joy. We would have no peace. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no relief from guilt because we would still be dead in our sins. But here's what God did. God did what could not be imagined. Pilate couldn't stop him. The Pharisees could not stop him. The enemies of Christ could not stop him. Christ rose from the dead. I've been there, and I've walked in that tomb. I've, I've been to Calvary, and I've walked into that empty tomb, carved out in the rock, hewn into the rock that had never been used before and has never been used since, where there's a rut that is there where a stone had once been that had been rolled into its place, and it would have taken a dozen men to move that stone. But Jesus Christ came out of that grave. The stone was moved, not so that Christ could get out, but so that you and I could go in and see that it's an empty grave. There is no other religion. There is no other belief system on the face of the earth that gives the promise of resurrection. This is the hope that we have, that Christ was raised and we would be raised also. But there's another story, a story that I hope you identify with, and that's the story of the Apostle Paul. Now, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And just like Pilate, he was an enemy of Christ. He had been there at the stoning of Stephen, the persecution of the church. He had asked permission to stop this movement of Christianity, to stop it before it could spread. And Paul hated these Christians, and he hated what they stood for. But one day, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the book of Acts chapter 9, Tells us about that encounter when Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's life was changed. If Saul had not met Jesus on that day, he would just be another forgotten name in history. But because he met Jesus, the great persecutor became the great proponent, the defender of the gospel. He wrote more letters than anybody else wrote in the New Testament. He defended the faith. And so I want to ask you to turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A few moments ago, Alex read this text, and I want to read a few more verses there. But 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. In other words, what Paul is saying there is there are 500 people that can testify we have seen the resurrected Christ face-to-face. Amen. We have seen him since his death in his resurrected life. Paul is saying there are verifiable witnesses. In, in a court of law, if you had a couple of witnesses to an act, you could probably render a verdict. Paul says that there are the apostles and 500 others who are ready to come into a court and testify, give evidence to the fact that they have actually seen with their own eyes the resurrected Christ. For then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Drop down to verse 12 if you would. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now I want you to see three statements there. Paul talks about it. if there's no resurrection. Paul is saying if there's no resurrection, it would be like looking in a mirror and not seeing yourself. Paul is saying this is so obvious that Christ has been raised from the dead. But look at what he says. If Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. That means that the millions upon millions of people that are gathering and worshiping across this world today that began hours ago in other parts of the world, that their faith is in vain. That means that every good deed done in the name of Jesus, that means that every hospital built, every person counseled with, every life changed, every family put together was in vain. It was worthless. It was meaningless. If Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, then I don't have any hope. I don't have a future. I have no purpose. I have no meaning if He is not risen. But not only your faith is in vain, but secondly, he says, if Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. That's even a greater problem because it means that if Christ is not risen, I still have to pay for my sin. And I can't pay for it. I cannot do enough good deeds to pay the price for my sin that separates me from God. I live in a broken relationship with God, and only through Christ can that bridge be built where I can have a new life and a second chance at life through Jesus Christ. If Christ is not risen, I'm still in sin. I don't have any hope. I I can't be baptized enough to be saved. I I can't join enough churches. I can't be involved in enough denominations. I can't do enough good to outweigh my bad if Christ is not raised then I'm still in my sin. By the way, what that means is is if Christ is not raised, then he took on sin and failed. He didn't do what he came to do. It means that Christ tackled your sin and my sin. He died for your sin and for my sin, but he failed because he didn't rise from the grave. The validity of His death is in His resurrection. Many men died. Many men were crucified. But only one sinless man ever walked this earth. And only one sinless man ever died, not for his sin, but for the sins of others. And in dying, rose again so that we could have life beyond the grave. Paul says, this is the gospel. And he says, if Christ is not risen, then then your sin becomes like your shadow. You can never get away from it. It's always following you. It's always around you. It's always with you. And nothing you can do can get that sin out of your life and take that sin off of you. But Christ has taken your sin. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. I didn't merit it. You can't buy it. I can't buy it. There's a movie that came out a, a few months ago called Get Low where this man tries to go in and hand the preacher a wad of money to buy his forgiveness. You can have all the money in the world and you cannot buy the forgiveness of God. Amen. It is a free gift, freely given to all who will believe. If Christ is not risen, you and I are still in our sin. And, and Paul goes on to talk about all these people that have seen him, but I want you to look at how he describes the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, Paul did not get this by reading a book about it. Paul didn't get this from interviews with other people, although he had talked to other people. Paul got this. He says in the book of Galatians, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I am telling you the gospel that God told me. I am giving you what was revealed to me through Jesus Christ. And, and Paul doesn't just say, you need to watch this. Paul doesn't just say he died. He says he died according to the scriptures. In other words, Jesus Christ was the one person, although many people have claimed to be Messiahs or identified as Messiahs, and many people have pr- claimed to be prophets and good teachers, Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of all prophecy and that the Savior would die. There would be a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, and Jesus died according to the scriptures. That fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. Christ fulfilled it. He was buried. He didn't just die, he was buried. The disciples knew he was buried. The Romans knew he was buried. The guards at the grave knew he was buried. His enemies knew he was buried. They were afraid he was gonna come out, but they made sure that he was buried and the grave was sealed. Now, one of the things you need to understand about a Roman guard, when he was charged to guard a post, He was to guard it at the risk of his own life. In other words, if the disciples somehow got a mob and tried to storm that grave and steal the body and pretend that Christ was resurrected, those Roman soldiers would have been left dead on that site before they gave up that guard post. That's how serious it was to guard it. They couldn't be bought off. They couldn't be bribed because to leave their post or to not fulfill their duty meant that they would be killed themselves. He died. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That fulfilled prophecies in in Psalm chapter 16 and, and in the book of Hosea. He was raised on the third day. It was pictured in Jonah, and Jesus said, I'm going to come back on the third day. Now, sometimes the disciples weren't paying good attention, but Christ came back on the third day, according to the scriptures. He was not resuscitated. He was not revived. He was not in intensive care. He was alive. He was fully resurrected. He was redeemed. And and here's the thing that you've got to know. Nobody, regardless of what you see, I watched a couple of things on National Geographic Channel yesterday and History Channel, all trying to deny the resurrection and deny that Jesus was who he said he was and all these experts, and X is a has-been and the spurt is a drip under pressure, all these experts talking about what they knew. Well, the first thing I knew is they weren't there. I didn't see anybody on there 2,000 years old saying I was there when it happened. First thing I know is they weren't there. Second thing I know is Pilate, the Romans, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the enemies of Christ could not refute the resurrection. There is no extra biblical material that is out that says they were able to disprove the resurrection. What they had is a problem that they couldn't control and changed lives of people who had been afraid when he was crucified, and now they're going out and telling everybody they know that Jesus Christ is alive. They couldn't contain him. They couldn't hold him. They couldn't stop it because it's not a philosophy, and it's not a religion, and it's not a myth, and it's not a superstition. It's an actual fact. It was according to the Scripture written hundreds of years before his death. It was historically verifiable. It was a demonstration of his purpose. It was a demonstration of his power. And it was a demonstration of his promises. You see, here's what you need to know. If Christ is not risen, we are of all men most pitied. If Christ is not risen, you should feel sorry for me. Because I've given my life to preaching this gospel. If Christ is not risen, you should feel sorry for the people that get up Sunday after Sunday and go to church and worship Him and sing songs to Him. You, you you should feel sorry for people that believe in the hope of a resurrection at death. Because if Christ is not risen, we should be pitied. We have a false hope. But can I tell you, I've staked my life on this gospel. I've staked my life on the fact that it is true. Amen. I've staked my life on it because I know that I was once lost, but now I'm found. Amen. I know that I was once dead in my trespasses and sin, but I've been set free by Jesus Christ. And I no longer have to carry the weight and the guilt of my sin. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's right. And so we come to the last one, the story of your life your personal story. You see, each one of us in this room today are watching by television or in one of two camps. We're either in the camp with Pilate. We don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We want to seal him up, lock him up. We wash our hands of him. We don't want anything to do with him. We're either in the camp of Pilate or we're in the camp of Paul. We've had a life-changing experience. That happened to me. I was raised in a church. I, I went to church from the time I was a baby. I got carried. When I was a teenager, I got drugged, but uh, I went to church all the time. I sang in the children's choirs. I was in the missions programs. I sang in the youth choir. I went to Sunday school. I went to church. I carried my Bible, but that didn't save me. My parents were Christians. That didn't save me. We were Baptists. That sure didn't (laughs) save me. What saved me is one day on a beach in Panama City when I realized that I had been playing church and that I knew the answers in my head, but I had no presence of Christ in my heart. And I needed to repent of my sin and ask Christ to save me. By the way, I'm not saved because I'm a preacher. I'm not saved because I love my kids and I love my wife. I'm not saved because I'm a pastor. I'm not saved because this church does a lot of good things. The only reason I can say I am saved is because Jesus Christ loved me when I didn't deserve to be loved. And when I deserve to spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell, to pay the price for my own sins, I went to Jesus. And I knelt down and I said, Lord, I can't pay for these sins. I'm guilty as charged. I've done it. I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. And I know that you've already paid the price for these sins. And so I willingly come and I repent and I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need somebody to save me. And he did it. Let me ask you a question: If you were to die today, and you were to stand before the gates of heaven, and God were to say to you, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" What would you say? Would you say you're religious? You're good outweighs your bad. You've been nice to people. Would you say? I'm only here because of Jesus. You see, the only reason God lets anybody into heaven is because of Jesus. That's right. There was an old TV show <clears throat> called "This Is Your Life" back in the 1950s, and they would bring celebrities in, and they would sit them down, and and then all of a sudden, you know, so and so, this is your life, and they'd play all this little cheesy music, and and they'd have this host, and somebody, there'd be a voice in the back saying. I remember him when he was in fifth grade, and he was a nice little boy, but he broke a window out during recess one day, and and we had to take him to the principal's office. Oh, that's Miss McGraw. Come on out, Miss McGraw, and she hugs. Everybody forgets everything. Then they bring family out and friends out. Most everybody's telling a great story about this person. Can I tell you something? One day we're going to stand before God, and there are not going to be any witnesses called to defend us. We're going to stand alone on our own before a holy God. And your mama's not going to be able to come up and say, now you need to let my boy into heaven because he is a good boy. And Your daddy's not going to come up and say, what's it going to take me to get him out of here? <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to intervene for you. You'll stand alone. And so I want to invite you this morning to make a life-changing decision to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wanna ask you a few questions and then I wanna give you some instructions for these next few moments. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity in heaven? I'm not asking you if you have a hope-so faith. I'm asking you, do you have a know-so faith? I know, I'm assured that if I died today, I would spend eternity in heaven. Maybe you've never made a decision about Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the first time you've ever heard the gospel, or maybe you're a church member, but you're not settled. You, you don't know, just like the lady that was baptized A few moments ago you want to nail it down so that you know that you know that you know Don't live with doubt and don't live with fear. Let God settle this for you today If you don't know whether you're on the back row of the balcony or whether you're in the mezzanines or in the front I know it's crowded, but we're going to give you room and time to get down here everybody that jesus called he called publicly There are no secret disciples of Jesus Christ. There are no closet Christians. Everybody he called, he called publicly to affirm him, to confess him publicly. And when we stand in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up from your seat, and in the motion of standing, I'm going to ask you to step out into the aisle and come down here to the front and just stand. In a moment, I'll pray with you, and then we'll have some folks that will help you to nail down, down that decision and give you some material to help you in your walk with Christ. But here's what I'm asking you to do. On the very first note, don't wait on anybody else. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. There are people in this room praying for you. This morning at 730, there were 70 men that walked around this room, walked in every classroom at every door, and prayed for you, and they didn't even know who you were. But they prayed that today would be the day that you would trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So in a moment, when the choir begins to sing, Christians in the congregation, I'm going to ask you to be praying. When the choir begins to sing, I'm going to ask you to step out and to come down to the front and just make your way across this front around these steps and just stand here for a moment and let us have a time of prayer with you. And then we want to talk to you briefly. We're not going to hold you for a long time. We want to talk to you briefly about nailing down your relationship with Jesus Christ. It may be that you want to join the church today, but I'm not asking you if you're coming to be saved to join this church. I'm asking you if you're coming to be saved to be saved. This may be the church that you need to be in, but that's not the first decision you've got to make. The first one is about salvation, about trusting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so after I pray, they're going to begin to sing immediately. And when they begin to sing on that first note, I want to ask you to step out. Some of you have somebody here with you, and you may want to lean over to them and say, you know, I'll go with you. You don't have to walk down there by yourself. I'll go with you if you'd like me to go with you. I'll go down and pray with you. I'll go down and stand with you. You may want to do that as you step out on the very first note. Father, I pray that today that you would save the lost, those that came into this room without hope, without peace, without forgiveness, and when they walk out of this room, they will have a life-changing experience just like the one that Ed and Sue talked about, just like the one that we've sung about, Father, that there would be a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ this morning. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of people, that you would have absolute freedom to move from the back row of the balcony to the front row. I pray that lives will be changed in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You come right now. Don't wait on anybody else.